reading today is from Acts chapter 22, verses 1 to 16. So please turn to your Bible or your device or whatever as I read the scriptures to you. So Acts 22, starting from uh, verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify... I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions my, com- my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light uh, blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The Lord of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You shall be witnesses to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptised and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Amen. Thanks, Tom. Morning again. If you're here for the first time or visiting with us today, then you find us about a month or so into a series on uh, being a contagious Christian. And this morning's story is about knowing your story. This morning we are going to focus on Saul's story. Saul, who eventually will become known as the Apostle Paul, and I want to give some background information to that, but before I do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together. Thanks, Lord, it's a relief not to have to wear masks. Thank you for that freedom. Help us to not take it for granted, but to use it to serve you, to honour you, and to please you. We ask the same this morning, that you would speak to each one of us and that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, back in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, had made a declaration to a group of another church, another group of believers, and he said, "Um, I'm going to Jerusalem, taking an offering of, um, that has been collected from many, many churches to take it for the poor people who are in Jerusalem. Because the Christians in Jerusalem had been persecuted and many of them, once they professed faith in Jesus, lost their employment and so life was pretty difficult for them. 
And Paul says, after I go to Jerusalem, I also intend to visit Rome, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul will do, only not in the circumstances and the way that he thought. So he travels from where he is over in Asia Minor and he travels through uh, various <coughs> countries and islands and stuff, comes to the coast at Caesarea and then he moves his way up to Jerusalem. I'm going to go very quickly for the next 10 slides or so because I just want you to get the feel for the background because this is not what we're talking about, this is just background to what we're talking about. But note this, the next day when Paul's in Jerusalem he goes and he meets James. That's the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus had brothers through Joseph and Mary had other had children, um, but of course Joseph was not Jesus' dad, God was his dad. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, not Peter. Peter's not the first pope, James is the one who was leading the church and the elders that were there. Um, and then Paul gives them a report of all the things that God had done in his life, which is always exciting to hear those sorts of things. Um, then they inform Paul of something that had been happening in his absence that... His reputation has been ruined because some other Jewish people who were angry at Paul and for people who desert the faith and who become Christians and they abandon Judaism, they sort of started blaming Paul as a key leader of that and they, they're in Jerusalem, they're visiting and so they'll certainly hear that Paul has come and so we've got a problem. What are we going to do? And they come up with a plan that, listen, why don't you go to the temple there's nothing wrong with that. Why don't you worship God? But why don't you also, as according to our customs, take a week's purification and uh, go to the temple, let them know the, how long the week is and pay the money that's appropriate to do that. And, and then for that week, fast and pray with four other people who are going to be with you. So that's exactly what he does. Goes up to the temple, informs the priests. And so people who will see him then think, hmm, what we thought about this guy may not be true after all. But then seven days had passed, he'd nearly finished this purification rite and he goes back up to the temple to conclude it, to offer the sacrifice or to go through the purification rites or whatever it was that he had to do. And some people who had also come from Ephesus were in Jerusalem and in the temple at that time and they had seen Paul walking around with some of his Gentile friends and they started to stir up the crowd. They started saying, brothers, come and help us. This guy whom they've been accusing falsely, but this guy has brought a Gentile into the temple. He's done exactly the wrong thing. People came running, uh, that's false accusation, I told you that. People came running from all sorts of directions. The people from Asia had already grabbed a hold of Paul and said, come and help us, this guy has defiled the temple. Then the crowds come and they seize Paul. They drag him out of the court of the, um, the men, out of the temple precincts where he was and they shut the gates behind him because they don't want him defiling the temple and then they proceed to deal with him in terms of they tried to kill him so they're punching him they're beating him they're doing all sorts of things now i haven't been to jerusalem pastor charlie has did you go to jerusalem did you go to the temple temple no the temple mound is about 35 acres it's a massive area I don't know how big 35 acres is, but it's big. Above the Temple Mount, there is a Roman fortress built by Herod called the Antonio Fortress. That's where the garrison, the Romans, kept their soldiers. And they had two stairways going down from the Antonio Fortress down into the Temple Mount because the Jewish people were always, you know, they're rioting and misbehaving and all sorts of things. And so they wanted, the Romans wanted to keep the peace, so they had direct access. They heard this kerfuffle going on down in the Temple Mount, Bash and Paula, 
And so the commander in church, whose name is um, Lysias, Claudius Lysias, we're told that a couple of chapters in, he goes down with his men, he, he comes to Paul, he grabs him, he arrests him, um, and it's like, as soon as they see the soldiers coming, they stop beating him. It's a bit like the police arriving, you know, then you start behaving yourself. So they come, they arrest him, they bound him. He's got chained to one guy on this side and chained to another guy on this side. He's bound between two soldiers. And the crowd sort of quietened down a little bit. The commander says, who is this guy and what has he done? And the crowd starts yelling all different sorts of things. And there's confusion. And he can't get clarity on what this thing is. So he arrests Paul and takes it Saul, and is about to march him back up the stairway, back up to the barracks, back up to the fortress. When they get to the steps, the Apostle Paul, oh, when they get to the steps, even though the soldiers have got him, and he's bound, and he's walking, the crowd uh, gather around, they mob them, and they're reaching for Paul, they're trying to grab him, they're trying to get him, and hurt him, and do all sorts of things to him. And when they start going, so the soldiers lift Paul up, and they're carrying him, you can read that. I've jumped over some verses. And when he gets halfway up the steps, the Apostle Paul says, um, well, he speaks to the commander in Greek, and he says, can you speak Greek? Because he speaks it fluently, speaks it well, it's an educated person, and it's an educated language. And he says, I thought you were the Egyptian. There was an Egyptian guy that historians tell us about who had taken 4,000 assassins, Sicarion, and had taken them out into the wilderness and eventually they all got either killed or arrested or scattered. And this guy and the leader of it has escaped, the Egyptian. And the commander-in-chief thought, this is him, I've got him. He said, aren't you the Egyptian? Paul says, nope, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm a citizen of that. The Roman commander's not listening very carefully because in a little while he's going to try and flog Paul, but you can't because he's a Roman citizen. Paul, look at Paul's request. The mob is trying to tear him to pieces and here is Paul saying, can I talk to the people? Please. <laughs> In learning our story, we all have a story to tell. Brian has a story, Alex has a story, we have a story. If you know Jesus, you've got a story. And all of our stories are unique to each one of us and they're powerful and we need to know our story which is why we're looking at this this morning the apostle paul knows his story and in the book of acts he'll tell it at least twice and luke records it a third time so it's a similar pattern that's what we're going to look at this morning please let me speak to the people point number one when you tell your story be polite be respectful in fact the apostle paul will go on and call them brothers when he does address them brothers and fathers they had just been belting him kicking him, trying to kill him, and he's speaking respectfully to them. That's the work of God's grace in a person's heart, can transform you. Um, so there's point one. Point two. It doesn't mean much to us, but he spoke in Aramaic. In that time, you could speak Greek, you could speak Hebrew, you could speak um, Latin, you could also speak Aramaic. Aramaic is a dialect of the Hebrew language. It's a bit like Latin and Italian. The Hebrew was the far more official. It's the language of the scholars. It's the language which would have been used in temple services and in the synagogue. It's Hebrew. But Aramaic is a simplification of that. It was the common vernacular of the people. 
And Paul, who was highly educated, could speak all of those languages. He speaks to the crowd in Aramaic, in the common, simple language that everybody could understand him. That's the second thing. When we tell our story, we are to use language that people will understand. Don't use a lot of Christian jargon or cliches or, for instance, if I told you my story and if I said something like, I was sinking in the depths of sin one day and by God's grace I realised that the atonement was for me and so I repented and I believed, I confessed him to be my Lord and my Saviour. Would you understand it? Well, a lot of you will because you're church people. You're used to that language. Would Joe Blow outside understand it? There's a lot of words in there that they would not understand. So be aware of the language you use when you tell your story. Keep it simple. Remember the word KISS, K-I-S-S? What does that stand for? Keep it simple, stupid. Well, in Europe, when you greet somebody, you don't just kiss them once, you kiss them twice. Pastor Charlie will demonstrate that for us now. <laughs> no? Not up for it? Okay. COVID. COVID. Uh, good reply. Kiss, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid, and keep it short, silly. Remember that? Kiss, kiss. When you tell your story, keep it simple, keep it short. I've heard some people give testimonies where the clothes I was wearing went out of fashion. <laughs> kiss, kiss. We shall revise at the end and, well, Charlie, if we had masks on, we could, couldn't we? No, I think. So the Apostle Paul basically says to these people, let me tell you my story. It has three parts. Whenever Paul tells his story, Acts 22, Acts 26, Acts chapter 9, it has three parts to it. It's before, his life before he met Jesus, how and what happened when he met Jesus, and his life after he met Jesus. It's BC, the cross, and AD, just like the calendar. BC, AD, with a cross in the middle. BC is before I got converted, before I became a follower of Jesus. AD is after I made the decision to do so. The significant bit is also in the middle. What did you do? How did it happen? That's the important part of our story to tell somebody else. And however it happened for you is your story and it's very, very important. Don't change it. Don't glorify it. Don't dramatise it. Tell simple, short, concise. And God will use you. God wants to use you to tell your story to other people. And there will be people exactly like you. Some of you are like me. You didn't grow up in the church. You didn't know anything about Jesus or Christianity until I was about 17 years of age. Completely spiritually ignorant. Maybe not completely, but by and large. Without much insight or hardly anything at all. But for many of you, you're going to be like my kids. And so I came into the church from outside. But for many of you, like my kids, you grew up in the church. You grew up with Jesus as always there. There's never been a time when you weren't aware of him in your life. That's your story. The important part is, still in your story of what was it like for you growing up? How did you make a commitment to, or who do you think Jesus is now? And then what's your life like now? It's still got the three parts to it. So that's what the Apostle Paul is telling them here to do. Now... When he goes on to tell them a story, I want you to notice this, it's personal and it's first-hand. He uses 18 times he says, I. He's not telling somebody else's story, he's telling his story. So, learn it and 
Don't make it emotional, make it factual and structured, ordered. It says, what are the facts? Keep it simple. Keep it short. What is the nuts and bolts of it? Here we go. The Apostle Paul spoke to be understood, as I've already alluded to. He spoke Aramaic, because if people don't understand you, there is no point in doing it, is it? Don't use cliches, avoid theological terms as best you can, don't use Christian ease. And if you do use a word like, say, repent, and you can't think of another word to use, then explain what you mean by it. And ask them, do you understand what I'm saying? Be clear. Apostle Paul's story is this. This is the background. This is BC. He says, I am a Jew. This is what he's saying to the crowd. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. Um, I was brought up in this city, in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel, who was a very well-known rabbi and teacher. And I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. What the Apostle Paul is doing is simply saying, I'm like you. I was raised like you. I believe like you believe. And I'm still zealous for God, just like you are. But he says, I went further than you did in my zeal for God because I persecuted the followers of the way to their death. Paul used to intimidate people, he'd knock on doors and he'd find Christians, he would arrest them, he would imprison them and then if he could he would be voting in favour of the execution and he did so and in fact he was so zealous to get rid of Christianity because the Apostle Paul thought that Christianity was apostasy, it was heresy, it was terrible, it was a cult, just like Jesus was dead and buried so the Christians should be dead and buried, they would rid the earth of the lot of them, that was his attitude. So he went to the high priest, he asked for some letters of authentication or permission. He was going to Damascus, where there was a very large Jewish population. Because the Christians were persecuted in Jerusalem, many of them fled, and many of them fled north to Damascus. So Paul's going after them. So now he's got letters of authorization so that he can arrest people in Damascus and drag them back to Jerusalem for trial and for potential execution. So the Apostle Paul is telling them this, and it sounds like this guy's just like us. What happened to him? BC, what was your life like before you came to know Jesus? And you don't have to, don't paint it all black, because none of us are all black. Just like afterwards, when you come to know Jesus, don't paint it all white, because none of us are perfect. Be real and be honest. But be succinct. I had an associate pastor once, when he came, he gave his testimony at the beginning of his time. And he stood up and he said, I would like to tell you that at 10, 10 years of age, I was into cocaine and drugs. By 17, I was a drug ward. And by 20, I had actually killed somebody. He said, I'd like to be able to tell you that was my testimony. But actually, I was raised in a Christian home. And <laughs> so he's gone, he's got the letters. <clears throat> what happened to him? Well, the Apostle Paul says, now he's telling about, but I met Jesus. But Jesus. That's at noon, high noon. I'm approaching the city of Damascus, which is about 350 k's north. He's about 5 k's from there. He can see the walls and the towers of the city. It's noon. And suddenly, he says, there is a bright light from heaven that shone around him and all of those who were riding with him, his guard or, or whatever. Just like a candle, if I took a, can a candle in a dark room gives off light. But if I took the candle outside in the full sun it would be dull and dim and it would be ineffective, wouldn't it? Well, so too the Apostle Paul is saying here that at noon, 
The sun is at its peak, but there was a bright light that made the sun just become dim and dull compared to this brightness of this heavenly light, this glory shining around him. I fell off my horse, I fell to the ground and so did everybody else and I heard a voice that names Paul personally, Saul, Saul, that's Jesus, he knows your name and then he says remarkably, why do you persecute me? Well, the Apostle Paul, Saul, could have said, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting the Christians. But then spiritual eyes are starting to open, he's beginning to understand that Jesus is not only alive, but Jesus identifies with his own people. Persecute them, you persecute me. Hurt my wife, you hurt me. That relationship. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul says, who are you? He says, Lord. I think that could probably, the word Lord either means sir, title of respect, what my wife calls me appropriately, <laughs> Lord. Although she says it in a really interesting way that I don't think it means what she's saying it is. Who are you? Lord? It also can mean not just sir, but it can mean sovereign, master, Lord of all, God. Depending on the context, and I think in this first instance, Paul will use it twice, I think in this first one, he's saying, who are you, sir? I mean, it's obviously something supernatural, something heavenly, but who are you? What's your name? And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Now, isn't that interesting? The Son of God, who was ascended to heaven, calls himself Jesus of Nazareth. Why? Well, A, because there are a lot of Jesuses around, very common name back in those days. And you tend to identify your person, hi, I'm Daryl from Narendra or I'm Daryl from somewhere else, or I'm Daryl from here, or I'm Daryl the Carpenter, or occupation or geographical location, you would have your first name and then one of those appended to it. And so Jesus is saying, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, you know who I am. Why are you persecuting me? He says it again. And then the Apostle Paul says, what do you want me to do, Lord? This time it's the Sovereign Lord. Now it's about submission, now it's about... I'm here to obey. And when, whenever God speaks to us, we should always obey and do what he says. That's certainly the case. But what Jesus says to him, oh, whoops. I want you to get up. I want you to go to Damascus. Then and there you will be told what you must do and what's been assigned to you. Note this truth. That when Jesus speaks to us, he'll give you the next step. He has a plan for each of our lives, but he doesn't give us the whole plan. We'd like the whole plan. Why? Well, because we'd like to look at the whole plan and if we like it, well, then we'll follow it. If we don't like it, well, I'm not following that. That's why he only gives us the next step. Take the first step and then what do you do? Obey. Second step, what do you do? Obey. Then with a third step, obey. Following Jesus is about simply obeying him one step at a time. Be it baptism, be it serving him in some capacity, be it giving, whatever, helping others. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to go to Damascus, then I'll tell you. So Paul goes to Damascus and he's there for three days. He's in a house on a main street, straight street, and he's in the corner by himself, he's not eating, he's fasting for three days, he's probably sitting in the dark, he's blind, he can't see, and he's reprogramming, he's reprocessing, he's praying and he's thinking, 
and his whole world has been turned upside down. I was like that. I was a zealous Jew, worshipping God in the temple, studied the law and knew it, but then I met Jesus and my life changed. What's my life been like since? He'll go on to tell us. Push the pause button on Paul's story. Acts 22 doesn't give us a lot of details, but Acts 9 does. There's another guy, Ananias is his name, and he's a Christian, and he's living on exactly the same street. He's a couple of doors down from where Paul is. Jesus comes to Ananias and says to him, Ananias, yes, Lord, I want you to go to the house up the road at this house where Paul, Saul is staying, and I want you to speak to him. Lord, Ananias says, do you know that that guy goes around arresting people? And do you know that, Jesus? And I don't think it's a good idea that I should go. Ananias, I want you to go. And he does. Perhaps reluctantly, but obediently, he goes. When he arrives, he says to Saul, calls him Brother Saul. He's being affectionate, he's being... Because um, he's in a new family now. It's transformed. I would imagine Ananias would be dry in the mouth, maybe trembling a little bit, saying, Brother Saul... Jesus has sent me that you might see again, receive your sight, and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, and something else as well is going to come. Ananias did exactly what uh, Jesus wanted him to do. Um, So he comes, and he says to him, now what are you waiting for, Saul? Get up, be baptised, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now I draw attention to that because of our baptism services today. Ananias says to Paul, the very first thing, when you start to follow Jesus, the first thing to do is get baptised. Have you been baptised? If you haven't, come and talk to us. It's a matter of obedience, doing exactly what the Lord wants you to do. And then Ananias goes on to explain, not that baptism washes away your sins, but baptism declares that your sins have been washed away. It's calling on his name that cleanses you. You call on the name of the Lord for help and forgiveness, he answers, he forgives and he cleanses. And then baptism demonstrates that this has happened. Baptism follows belief as we teach and understand what the scriptures are saying. And Paul does exactly that. Please note that God loves to use people and God wants to use you. He used Philip for the Ethiopian eunuch, he used Peter to go to the house of Cornelius, he used Ananias to come to the house of Saul... And Jesus wants to use you. Time is gone. But let me, I want to say this. How are snowflakes made? I've said this a few times over the years, but it's really, really important. I used to believe for decades in my life, and I was taught when I was at school, that snowflakes are formed by very small dust particles that caught up into the upper atmosphere, stratosphere, and gets circulated around and then slowly ice forms around it and it builds and builds and builds and snowflakes are formed. Scientists, there is actually, you can, a guy's got a PhD in it, believe it or not. And so, what do you study? Snowflakes. Oh. <laughs> he discovered a remarkable thing. How are snowflakes formed? Snowflakes, when ice is uh, forming in the upper atmosphere, they shatter. And it's little bits of this ice particles that form the snowflake. What forms snowflakes? Other snowflakes. Okay. What forms Christians? Answer? Other Christians. God wants to use you and your story 
to help other people come to know him. Let's review very quickly. Being religious doesn't reconcile us to God. Paul did that. He was religious, but he wasn't right with God. Coming to church is helpful, but it doesn't save you. You need to know Jesus personally. Baptism is important, but again, it doesn't save you. You need to be saved before you're baptised. Baptism is important, particularly in the spiritual realm. We haven't spoken about that, but that's another night, another time, another teaching. Baptism is very important. If you haven't been baptised, please come and talk to us. We can do it publicly, we can do it privately, we can do it however is going to be helpful for you to be obedient to the commands. What's your story? Learn your story. Practice your story. Pray about your story and ask God to use you to tell your story as you have opportunity to tell other people. It's time to pray. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this story of the Apostle Saul and Paul uh, and how clear it is and how powerful it is. Not all of us, Lord, have that sort of a dramatic story, but we do have a story. And I pray that you might help us to uh, learn it keep it simple keep it short as well as lord give us the opportunity to share it with others that they might come to know jesus too this is the most important decision we can all make so help us we pray in jesus name and everybody said let's stand together